So uh, this morning, uh, we're going to conclude uh, our, our series in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in Luke uh, 24. Don't turn there just yet. Um, but if you will remember, uh, Luke was written uh, as an orderly account to an individual named Theophilus, whose name means lover of God. And whether that was an actual person or whether that's being used as a pseudonym for the church itself, and the question is, are we lovers of God? But it was written that the lover of God might know, might know him, and that that revelation of him would lead to proclamation of him. Um, I want to begin this morning actually in Acts chapter 8. This is the second book that Luke wrote. And uh, in that chapter, we find there's a man named Philip who was one of Jesus' disciples, and he's sent by the Holy Spirit to go to the the road that leads south out of Jerusalem. And once there, um, he's uh, he's, he's instructed to make a connection with an individual he finds on the road. So Luke 8, beginning in verse 29, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this, his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. The Bible is not like anything that has ever been written. The Bible is not ancient history. It's not good morality. It's uh, not wisdom in and of itself. The Bible is the Word of God. The Bible is different than anything that's ever been written. The Bible is the Word of God. Doesn't it stand to reason that he intends you to read it with him? That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3 that there's a veil between a person and God's Word that can only be lifted by God. He says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him and is not able to understand understand them because they are spiritually discerned. If this is the word of God and this is not about religion but this is about relationship then don't you think that he intends to you to read this and understand this with him. Well that word folly that's just used there. You might remember from Good Friday where we said the for the word of the cross is folly to those who are being to who are perishing. The reality is is that just as we gathered on Good Friday to to worship a man who called himself God and allowed himself to be killed is folly to the world around us. So gathering together on a Sunday morning to worship that same man risen from the dead is also folly. But we understand it because Scripture said it. And and Scripture is, is given to us by the Spirit of God which helps us in our faith. We can't understand what God has communicated to us through the Bible unless God teaches it to us. But once he does, and the Spirit is in us, we are called to teach it to others. And that's what we see Philip doing. Here's a man who has gone up to Jerusalem to worship, 
and uh, he's, he's coming away and he's reading this scroll, this Isaiah. He's reading scripture and he doesn't understand it. And so God sends him somebody to help him understand it, but not just understand what it says, help him understand how it points to Jesus. So this morning, as we look at Luke, before we dive in to the very last chapter of our study in this, and before we look at the resurrection, there's a couple of things we need to remind ourselves of. The first part of Luke is all about Jesus showing the world that he is the the son of man. But then in chapter nine, his agenda changes and he begins to go on a journey, the journey to Jerusalem. Now, just before this journey begins, he's preaching to thousands of people and they're hungry and he has a small amount of, of loaves of bread and he takes this bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he distributes it through his disciples to these people that are there. Breaking of the bread, before that he's, he's blessing, he's breaking, he's distributing, he's feeding people. This leads to a revelation. Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say I am? Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah, right? right? A feeding which leads to a revelation which leads to a proclamation. Then Jesus says in verse 22, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Now, one more stop before the journey begins. Jesus goes up a mountain with three of his disciples and he goes to pray. And as he's praying, his face begins to shine. His clothes become radiant white. And and two guys from the Old Testament show up, Moses and Elijah. And they come to talk to him about his departure. Okay? Comes back down the mountain, the journey begins. He's already reminded the purpose of the journey. Going to Jerusalem, he's going to fulfill the prophets, he's going to be re- uh, arrested, and he's going to be executed. But then he's going to rise. He's already told them the purpose of the journey. So the journey has begun, and then he reminds them along the way. Chapter 17, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. That happens between Galilee and Samaria, one step closer to Jerusalem. The next step of the journey happens in 18. And taking the 12, he said to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and shamefully treated, and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Uh, the Gospel of Luke, in this part, this is, this is a journey. This is a journey of where Jesus is going to accomplish a mission, and along the way, he's going to reveal what this is. But, but, but Luke, more than, than, than any of the other Gospels, especially when it comes to the resurrection account, is, a, is about watching the disciples going from bewilderment to understanding, from ignorance to faith. But it's, but it's a revelation that only happens one step at a time as Jesus reveals things to them, right? Now, uh, he says this three times, but he's, he's communicating four things. He's communicating four things, and he's, he's communicated them repeatedly. The first, uh, he's going to fulfill prophecy. What the prophet said about him in the Old Testament, he's going to do that. Secondly, the religious leaders are going to arrest him. 
Third, the Gentiles are going to execute him. And fourth, after three days, he's going to, to rise. These are four things that he's told them. They don't understand them yet. So he arrives in Jerusalem. He's hailed as king at first as he rides into the city. Then he's rejected. Then he's arrested. Then he's tried. He's convicted. He's executed. All right? When we get to the end of chapter 23 in Luke, three of the things that Jesus has said have happened. He's fulfilled prophecy, he was arrested, he's executed. Now at the beginning of chapter 24, the fourth thing happens. He rises. So look with me. Verse one of chapter 24. On the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. So chapter 23 ends. Jesus is dead. And the women have seen his death. They've seen where they placed his body. And they intend to go and and to treat his body and to care for it on the first day of the week. But they've followed Jesus for three years. These women have actually financially supported Jesus' ministry. We see that early on in Luke. They've heard what Jesus has said about himself. They know what Jesus said. So when they go to the tomb that morning, are they expecting to find Jesus sitting there waiting for them? No, they're expecting to find a dead body. Why? Because they've forgotten what Jesus has said. They expect to find a dead body. Instead, they find an empty tomb, and then there's two angels who said, he's not dead, he's not here, he's alive, he's risen. Don't you remember what he said? And then they remind them, and then they remember. But they don't remember until messengers from God come to them to remind them. Right? It takes the power of God to illuminate this for them so that they now know. Now, this group of women, these are the first believers in the resurrection. The first believers in the resurrection. So what do they do with this new belief? Right? This revelation that they've received, what do they do with this? Well, they go tell other people. Verse 9, And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and <clears throat> to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stopping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. So they go back, they tell the 11 disciples what they've seen. His tomb's empty An angel said he's risen from the dead, and he reminded us of everything Jesus said about himself, that this would actually happen. And what's their response? Idle talk. They didn't believe them. They didn't believe them. Now, uh, what's interesting, in Luke, who does Luke, in in the Gospel of Luke, who does Jesus reveal himself to? Is it to the, the, the rich, the powerful, right? The people on top, right? The religious elite, the political elite? Elite? No, it's, it's the people on the bottom of the pyramid that Jesus reveals himself to. It's the poor, it's the powerless, it's the sinner, it's the outcast. In that society, 
a woman couldn't give testimony in court, right? She's esteemed very little, if at all. And yet, who's, who, who does Jesus reveal himself to first? This group of women. And they don't believe her. Well, Peter decides to go and check it out. He runs to the tomb. He sees that it's empty. And he walks away. And, and what does it say about he, he marveled at what had happened? He's marveling, okay? He's having an emotional response to what he sees. This is not faith. He doesn't believe Jesus is alive. He's marveling at this. There's an emotional response to this, but it's not faith. Verse 13, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. It's important to understand that in this chapter, um, seeing is believing. Seeing is faith. Seeing is revelation. Okay? So they see Jesus, but they don't recognize Jesus. In other words, they see him, but they don't really see him. Do you know what I mean? He's there. They don't recognize him as Jesus. Now, um, the sad thing is, is that uh, here, are, here are people who followed Jesus from Galilee. Um, it, it, this might have been, uh, may have been a, a man and a wife who followed him. Um, but, but they followed him, and now that Jesus is dead, you, you see the, the followers are beginning to split up. They're beginning to go their separate ways. The fellowship is falling apart, so to speak, right? And so um, they, they're gone their road to, to, to Emmaus, and Jesus just shows up with them, right? And uh, all right, um, verse 17, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. All their hope is dead, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Uh, Luke loves irony. So here's people who don't know, pointing the figure at the guy who actually does know and calling him ignorant. Right? So here's Jesus, and, and I love Jesus' response. This, this is great. And he said to them, What things? Like what? Like he's playing dumb, you know? He just, you know, kind of sidling up to them as they're walking along. Hey, what are you guys talking about? Huh? What things? Like you see in, in chapter four, Jesus in a different light. Like there's a little bit of play there. It's a little bit of joy there, right? And, and, and the reason why, he's not the man of sorrows. He's completed the mission. He said, it is finished on the cross. The work of redemption is done, right? Our sin atoned for. God's wrath assuaged. Like, the work is done. And now what Jesus gets to do is he gets to unwrap the present for us, right? And so there's, there's a little bit of playfulness there. He's like, what things? Uh, and they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Now, I want you to note this. They remember Jesus as a prophet, mighty in word and deed. Now, that's the description that they attribute to Moses, Deuteronomy 34. He's one of the first prophets, mighty in word and deed. But all the prophets pointed to Jesus as the best prophet of all. But they hint on this whole prophetic thing, right? Remember, Jesus said, I'm going to fulfill everything prophets said about me. Next, they say this. 
and our, how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death. They arrested him and crucified him. Right? What did Jesus say? What happened? Fulfill scripture, be arrested, get killed. What did they just say? Right? They're repeating back the words of Jesus, not knowing that or remembering that they were the words of Jesus. You think like they're seeing, but they're not seeing? And here's Jesus walking alongside them, and yet they don't see him. Verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We, th- we thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was the one that was going to save us. And yet they don't understand that it was the cross and his death that actually saved them. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Fulfill scripture, get arrested, get killed, rise after three days. It's now three days since these things happened. And you gotta wonder if Jesus was like, how many days has it been? Three days, huh? What's supposed to happen three days later? Like, like there's no light bulbs going off. There's no bells ringing. Like, there's no dots being connected here. Uh, It keeps going. Moreover, some women for our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but him they did not see. They, they, they thought, oh, they're telling an idle tale. They go check it out. The tomb is empty. It's just as the women said. Well, what about the other things that the women said? Right? But him they did not see. Remember, seeing in Luke 24, this is, this is, this is believing, right? That they don't see him yet. Right? Um, and he said to them, oh, I'm sorry, uh, here's a, uh, a quote I found helpful. One commentator, he notes, uh, they had all the raw materials for making sense of recent events, yet unable to construct a faithful inter- interpretation. In other words, what they have is all the facts. Like, they, they have all the details, they have all the pieces of the puzzle, but they're not able to put the puzzle together unless Jesus helps him do it. Verse 25, And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. O foolish ones. Now, just to be clear, this means obtuse. He's not making fun of them. He's not saying, you're stupid, you're moronic. It's not what he's saying, right? It, it, then he says, you're slow of heart. In other words, like you've been following me, but you haven't been quite keeping up. Like there, there's something about your heart's disposition towards me that hasn't really embraced me and hasn't really embraced what I said I would do and who I am. Slow in heart. Wasn't it necessary for the, that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? You look at the Old Testament, and, and what you discover in, in the Old Testament is that the relationship between God and humanity is broken, and it needs to be fixed. And, and the solution to fixing this is something called substitutionary atonement, where people sin, and then they make up for it by sacrificing an animal and shedding blood, right? Right? 
And, and, that mean, and, and, and yet it's never able to be enough, like sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. Like, and it all points to this, why can't there be a better sacrifice? And the Old Testament is also about needing a king. It's about wanting a better king, a better ruler, somebody who can make all things right. What if the king that can make all things right is also the substitutionary sacrifice that we need? Isn't it necessary that Christ should suffer these things? And so beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all of Scripture the things concerning himself. They were Jewish people. They probably had most of the Torah memorized. They heard the Bible, their Old Testament Bible, being taught to them every week in synagogue. Like, they, it wasn't hidden from them. They knew the stories. And so Jesus begins to go through the stories of Scripture one by one. And here's the Christ. And here's the Messiah. And here's the suffering servant. And here he is. And here, like, throughout Scripture, he's, he's showing it to them. He's opening up the word of God and God is explaining it to them. He's showing himself throughout scripture. So Jesus explains to them and they begin to see and they begin to understand, but they still don't know it's Jesus talking to them. And here's the suspenseful part, all right? Verse 28, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further right? Like he kind of sidles up along them. What are you guys talking about? What things? And then he, had, you know, delivers like this tr big truth bomb about scripture that they were just like mentally have to be rocked after hearing. And then he's like, well, I'm going to keep going. You know, if this was the Midwest, I think Jesus gave him a Midwest goodbye, you know? Well, the first gathering did not think that was funny at all. It was a risk to try it again, but anyway. So it looks like he's going to depart. It looks like he's going to leave them. And there's this question like, that, will, will he really go away and leave them in the dark about who he is, you know? And, and so what they do is they extend hospitality to him. But they urge him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent, so we went in to stay with them. Uh, in a moment, we're gonna see how they, they express their feelings about what, what happened to them along the way as Jesus opened up scripture to them. They'll, they'll mention the fact that their hearts were burning. You see, when the word of God is revealed to you by God, it burns and it cuts and it changes you from the inside out. And the thing is, is, when you reach that point, you can do one of two things. You can either close it and say, well, that's nice, right? You, you could, th these individuals, they could have said, well, thanks for the enlightenment, Jesus. Thanks for your take on stuff. Thanks for your interpretation. Have a safe journey. Could have let them keep on going. Instead, because their hearts were burning, they wanted more. They wanted more. And so what do they do? They open the door and invite him in. Now, the beautiful thing about this picture is that Jesus, who's the guest, will flip the script and now become the host. Verse 30, when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened. They recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Man. He flipped the script. Remember the feeding of the 5,000? Bread, blessed, broken, given, results in revelation, proclamation, right? 
Once again, he takes the bread, blesses, breaks, feeds them, and their eyes are open. It's like Jesus is feeding them faith. Feeding them faith. Their eyes are open. Again, like all the irony here is like they'd seen him the the whole time, right? But they didn't see him. Now they see him, but then they don't because he disappears. He disappears. Well, verse 32. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those who were with him, with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So the response when you hear the truth about who God is, when you go from ignorance to belief, when you go from bewilderment to faith, the proper response is to proclaim it. Go tell somebody. They go back to tell the 11 disciples. They say, he's risen. Their response is, he's risen indeed. Oh, that's where they come from, right? So there's this exchange, he's risen indeed. And then they say, Peter saw him. Peter now knows, okay? Peter now knows. But, but then they say, um, they, they told him about what happened on the road, how Jesus revealed scripture to them, and then how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. He broke bread with us and then our eyes were opened. Um, remember in, in Luke, what is Jesus always doing? He's either going to a meal, he's at a meal, or he's coming from a meal. That's why his opponents called him uh, a, a, a drunk and uh, a glutton. Was he? No. But he was always around a table with people. Always around a table with people. Anyway. Um, so uh, as they were talking about these things, verse 36, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. So they're talking about the fact that Jesus is alive and Jesus appears. And they think it's a spirit. Right? Like they have all the facts Right? They have all the knowledge. They know he's alive. Jesus presents himself to them, and yet they still don't see him for who he is. Spirit. So Jesus, look at my hands. Look at, at, at my feet. Um, uh, verse 41, and while they, while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. Pause right there. While they disbelieved for joy, They're having another emotional response to this. It's joy. It's a positive response. But they still don't believe. Look, the reality is, is you can have the Bible in your hands. You you may have parts of it memorized. You may go to Bible study after Bible study. You may know that, that, that word of God. And you may have had an emotional response to some of it. You may have come to a church gathering like this and through powerful worship and and maybe good lighting and and good projection and and maybe all that has culminated to help you have an emotional response to what it is that you're experiencing. 
That's not faith. Look, a couple of weeks ago, I, I walked in and my sons, they're watching a nature program about a, a zoo and the, there's this, this koala bear in the zoo and they have to euthanize the koala bear. And I walk in and I see this and I have an emotional response to the euthanization of a koala bear. Right? Like, and I had to leave the room. Does that mean I worship koala bears? No. Having all the facts and even having some emotion to go along with it doesn't mean you have a faith. So then it goes on. He said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. Ah, this is Jesus. What is he always doing? You know, there's got to be a hundred ways you could prove to somebody that you have a body. You know, clip a fingernail, pull a little bit of hair. Like, he says, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. And he eats right in front of them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. He eats. And then he preaches. One final sermon. He opens up scripture. Here I am. Here I am. Here I am. This is why it's necessary for me to die. This is why it's necessary for me to rise. It's all here. All the facts. But they had it. Now with Jesus' help, they put the facts together into faith. A faith that changes their identities and a faith that shows them how to live. Faith that comes from Jesus giving it to them. Then he says, you got to take this and you're going to tell other people because I'm going to send you a gift. The, the gift of the Holy Spirit is going to come and take up residence in you. And just as I've come to you to reveal the truth of what God has said to you, you're going to go to others and reveal the truth of what God is saying to them because you have the power of God living in you to do that. But you're to go and to proclaim. Now, if you're here this morning and you would say, I've read the Bible. I know what it says. I know about this Jesus and his death and his resurrection. I've heard this stuff before. And, and, and maybe you've had an emotional response. Maybe you've cried during a worship song. Maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe Maybe you would even call yourself a Christian. But let me ask you, do you know him? Has he paid for your sins? Have you recognized that apart from him, you are an enemy of God, but he made you the, 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 the adopted son or daughter of God? 
Has he paid for your sins? Has he redeemed you and given you his righteous life so that when God the Father looks at you, he sees not your sin, but his righteousness? Do you accept him as savior? Do you see him as savior? Do you see him as redeemer? Do you see him as king and lord of your life? Does he have the the, the authority over you to call the shots for you, to define who you are? Is he the one who's organizing your steps? Is he the one who is God? There's lots of people who look at Jesus and recognize that he lived, recognize that he died, maybe even say that he rose, but they just call him a good teacher. Is he God to you? See, there's a way that you can see Jesus, but not really see Jesus. And if you would be here today and you say, I want to see Jesus. I want to open that door to see Jesus. I want to introduce you to him. I want to sit down with you and open this word with you and I want to point him out to you. At the end of the gathering this morning, I'm going to be standing right over here. And it can be as, as, as simple as this. We exchange information and we get coffee. I want to show him to you. If you want to see Jesus, I want to show him to you. Now, for those of you who, who, who are here today and you say, I, I see Jesus. I see him as Savior. I see my sin that he's taken care of. I see the wrath of God that he's taken care of for me. I see him as my Redeemer. And I see him as Lord. I see him as my King. I do submit to him. Let me ask you, does that submission show up in the proclamation? Like He's revealed the truth to you of who he is. He's shown you who he is and what he's done for you. He's revealed scripture to you. Have you taken that and then obediently proclaimed that? Like you may know the Bible. You may, you may have all sorts of Bible studies under your belt. You may even be able to pronounce Greek and Hebrew words. You may know all the ins and outs and little details of, of, of stories. Like you may know the Bible very, very well. But, but are you obeying the Bible? Because the Bible includes going, being his witnesses recognizing that what God has done for you, he wants to do through you. This faith that you have is not for you to hold on to. It's for you to communicate to others. See, those disciples, they woke up that morning hopeless. Hopeless. The one they believed in was dead. But what did, what, what did God do is, is he showed up and Jesus went to them and he walked beside them and he opened up scripture with them and he showed them and he opened their eyes and he gave them what they needed right hope by the end of the day their hope is returned their savior is alive there's a whole world out there that doesn't have hope people you work with and people who live right next door people maybe even within your own family. They don't have hope. And yet you have been sent to them for the purpose of hope. To point out Jesus to them. This is what Philip did. He opened up scripture. Not only did he explain what it meant, he showed him how it pointed to Jesus. I'll close with this. 
as we wrap up the Gospel of Luke today. Verse 50, verse 53. And he led them out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands. He blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Bodily he lived, bodily he died, bodily he rose, and bodily he ascended. And that's why we believe that Jesus will be fully human in sinless perfection and fully God for all eternity. But he ascended, okay? And the book of, of Luke ends where the book of Acts begins. This is essentially where the book of Luke ends. And the book of Acts begins this way. Acts 1, 10. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The first time he came, he removed the power of sin over your life. The, second, or the first time he came, he removed the power or the punishment of sin over your life. The next time he comes, he'll remove the presence of sin for your life. And when he comes back, he will gather us together as believers and he'll take us around another table where he serves as host again. And all generations from the first to the last and all peoples and tribes from all over the world who have ever lived, who have believed in him are gathered around this table and we get to celebrate what he has done for us. He will come again. Now my hope for you today is that you will go from here and that you will go surround your, uh, another table with people. And you will bless bread and you will break bread and you will pass it to one another and you will remind one another of the truth of what Jesus has done for you and that table will point you to that future table with Jesus and the hope that we have. It also says here, they went back to Jerusalem and they worshiped. I'm gonna pray and we're gonna do just that. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the plan of redemption that you put into motion before we fell dead in the garden. Lord Jesus, thank you for leaving, for emptying yourself, for taking on the form of a man, for your humility, for your suffering, for your sacrifice, for your resurrection. Holy Spirit, thank you that you empower us to show others the truth. This is the plan of redemption. And it's a plan not just given to us, it's given through us. Enable us, being a part of this plan, to show the world the hope that we have. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming and thank you for coming again. In your name we pray, amen.